Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Finally got the memory card to work here, and my lovely co-host is here with smiles. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's a lovely day in Houston. (laughs) That it is. The weather's getting nice. We've had about two weeks worth of rainfall, cancellation, softball stuff. So my schedule has been kind of crazy, which is okay. But when you've committed to coaching softball and then it becomes the end of the season and your daughter is really excited for you to coach the last game and you likely have to be in Midland, it's very frustrating. Yeah. But it is what it is. It's just part of life. Anyway, I digress. How's things in your world? We're good. I mean... My gosh. So my youngest kid is about to turn one. He's like walking around and everything. (laughs) And my oldest, you know, he's almost five. And he, I think this has been going on for a while, but I do the laundry in our household, which might be kind of weird. But No, actually, it's funny because I do a good chunk of ours. You know, my wife's a teacher. And so the thing is, normally in the afternoons on Fridays, I'll work from home and I can switch out loads and fold stuff on breaks and stuff. So it (laughs) works out. Yeah. But the number of like random bolts and pieces of rebar and stuff my son is bringing home and then dropping for the child that is now mobile and wants to put everything in his mouth. Uh I have concerns right now. I have nightmares about magnets. And (laughs) so it's an exciting time in our household, both from the fear of choking hazards. Yeah. But then also just life is exciting when you have small kids that are a lot of fun. Yeah, no kidding. The youngest one there, has he managed to eat anything that he shouldn't have? I mean, have you found anything that you're like, whoa, take that out? He's been okay. I can't think of anything where we really got too panicked, but there have definitely been, where did you find that and why do you have it in your hands? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what was it the other day? Our son had some, I had it in the tip of my tongue. There was something he had and it was either like pennies or... Or I forget. So we, he's wanted to try chewing gum forever. He's four. And it's just like, I know how that goes. It comes out of your mouth on your everywhere. And then you can't get it out. And so we've been very hesitant about giving him a gum. But of course, he sees big sister with gum. And she's like chewing eight pieces at once. And can barely fit in her mouth and just loving it. And so our son Ace is like, well, no, I want gum. I go, go finally, okay, you have some gum. Like right whatever you do, right? Just when you're done. Tell daddy so you can spit it into my hand. Like, this is where the gum goes, not in your tummy, in the hand. No longer than 10 minutes later, daddy? Yeah. I swallowed the gum. (laughs) (laughs) I told you not to, man. And sure, you know, that happens. I think it's probably not a big deal unless he was doing it all the time. But nonetheless, it's not what we're here to talk about. Although I think if anyone has kids out there, you're probably laughing at the, you know, just the comical nature of having kids and the things they do and things as us as parents have to navigate through. And But nonetheless, the topic that I was wanting to talk about today, Matt, was calcium carbonate in the sense it's a unique product. I mean, a lot of products have different reasons to add them, but calcium carbonate has, is a pretty versatile product. It can be used, you know, heavily in a, like an RDF fluid, or it can be used in LCM or in some weird random cases, you can use it to increase density. And so it's kind of got a wide range of application here, but I think it'd be cool to talk about And then in really where I was going with it originally was just to talk about like as an LCM, is it a good LCM? And maybe that's kind of hard to quantify, but 
if you're going to use it as LCM, why and some things you need to consider. But yeah, just generally having a conversation around calcium carbonate, I think it'd be kind of cool to talk about. What do you think? Let's do it. Perfect. Again, Matt, what are some of the, I guess, highlights as to what makes calcium carbonate a favored drilling fluid product, both in oil and water-based muds? Well, it's relatively cheap. I mean, it can be very cheap. Granted, there's some distinctions that we'll get into, but it's inexpensive. And because it goes into a lot of other industrial applications that require different sizing, it's fairly easy to get, you know, a fine, a medium coarse. You can get pretty reasonable particle size distributions. And that offers some versatility in some of these other sort of engineered applications, as you mentioned, for bridging and that kind of stuff. And you can generally get it anywhere. Lots of parts of the world have some way to source calcium carbonate locally or at the very least not too far away. And that also keeps us cost down. Everybody loves cheap in the oil field. I get cheap. I get options. And for some applications, it's acid soluble. Mm -hmm. Depending on the quality and that sort of thing, that can vary. But it's mostly acid soluble, which people like either because I need to acidize it, maybe in a reservoir drilling fluid application, or they just like the safety factor of, I could get rid of this later if I had to. No. That sort of brings it all together where what's not to like in many ways. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And uh, just completely side note, I don't know if we've done an episode on acid soluble products and mm -hmm. then discussing them. So maybe that's another topic for another day, but I'm putting it out there so I don't forget. Nonetheless, and I don't think a lot of people know, and if they do, that's great. But I know I didn't for a long time was... There's a difference between you got ground marble and then you have the limestone. And I think it'd be cool to describe the difference between the two. Sure. So the really cheap stuff is limestone and it works fine for things where you don't need as much mechanical strength, but think of limestone's a sedimentary rock. So this is your calcite layers, skeletons of stuff cemented together. And so that's the relatively cheaper version. And then ground marble has much more mechanical strength because marble is a metamorphic rock. So it's been under that pressure and temperature. And in light of that, it has more mechanical strength because of the crystalline structure and that sort of thing. Mm. So sometimes on higher spec applications, you will see ground marble as the specification for the request. Okay. For the, I don't care. I mean, we can get into more about the applications, but... If you're going to do wellbore strengthening, where there's going to be a lot of pressure applied on that material, generally ground marble can be more attractive because of its mechanical strength. There's an argument to be made if it's going to be with nut plug and other things, how much that matters. But mm. a lot of wellbore strengthening applications, you might look for ground marble if you can get it. Okay. Limestone is great for seepage losses and other things where it's pretty cheap. It doesn't necessarily need that mechanical strength as much as it just sort of needs to seal you know, against the pore spaces. Mm -hmm. And so if you can do that because of the lower cost, I'd say more power to you, go that direction. And then kind of mentioning or circling back to some of the sizing concepts, one thing that's kind of cool about these is because so really fine, like a D50 of two microns, a lot of that's used in plastics and to color sealants and paints, you know, anything you think that's like really white, mm -hmm. it's probably because calcium carbonate is used as a pigment or there's a good chance it's there, but that particle size distribution is pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. So you kind of know you can get that one. And there are other size distributions that are pretty easy to get because they go into other products. And ultimately you can blend those things together. But I've seen people try and get cute and be like, I need exactly a D50 of this that's when it gets really expensive because you're not pulling off of somebody else's grinding machine. Right. You're like asking for the custom stuff, 
which is why the most cost-effective approach, whether it's limestone or marble, is find the stuff they're already sizing together and figure out how you can blend it in a ratio to get where you want to be. Right. So I don't want to forget to bring that up just because there is story time. (laughs) So way back when, there were some calcium carbonate offerings that were centered around the D50 following a geologic scale called the Wentworth scale. Basically saying, okay, you can line up what a gravel size is or what have you. And so they picked these sizes, but the quality control was an absolute nightmare because you were asking these people who grind millions of pounds at a time to like tweak something and they don't really care how accurate they are because everybody else who's buying it doesn't care. Right. And you're a rounding error in their total usage. And so the quality control improved when you figured out where these grinding facilities said, look, I have a screen here and a screen here. If you take between here, the D50 is probably going to be in this neighborhood. If the products instead align to those things that are easier to get, quality control went way up. And the D50 was the D50 you said it was going to be. Those sort of things of like, figure out who you're taking from and what they're producing and then use that stuff. But there's great blending models to figure out what you need to take what you've been given and make it work, usually, as long as there's enough of a spectrum there. And for the purpose of drilling fluids, what are some of the most common, because a lot of times you'll have like calcarb fine and calcarb medium and calcarb coarse, and then oftentimes you might have a blend of them all as like a mix for some reference. Like what is, let's say, a D50 of a fine that we would use in drilling fluids and then medium and then coarse? You may not know the numbers off the top, but. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to trip all over myself. So I'll qualify it and then I'll give my own version. Okay. This is something that API TR 13.3, or I I can't remember the document, but they get into a couple of different things just about measuring particles and the fact that different people have different versions of what fine, medium, and coarse are. (laughs) I've seen people describe fine as 100 microns, which is fine if your coarse is 1,000 microns. (laughs) But in most things where you're not seeing like a huge fracture or something like that, Fine is probably a D50 of 10 microns. Medium is probably between 50 and 100. And 250 plus is coarse in my world, or at least in my reference. But I always look at the tech sheet and make sure whatever your version of medium, fine, coarse is the distribution I'm going for. Yeah. Because we could all talk about coarse and be talking about something very different. Particularly some of these loss zones, or especially some of these weak zones we encounter we do find ourselves on that D90 or like that upper end of the particle size distribution pushing a thousand microns, which is big. Yeah. And so that's a whole other issue, but I would say the 50 microns and below, even up to a hundred, that's probably fairly commonly going to be seepage losses, the kind of stuff you keep in the background. Normally it's probably closer to like 10 to 20 on the D50 because you're going to have bigger particles on the higher end. And remember, you're not one for one. You just need to cover about a third of the pore throat and the stuff will bridge up against it. Right. And there is, in fact, even flake calcium carbonate, lest I forget. So sometimes you can get flake calcium carbonate and use that for seepage losses. Mm. But you would use that in kind of upper hole type situations where that circles back to, could you use mica or some other flake product that's a little bit more resilient and around everywhere? Because I don't care about the acid solubility at shallow depths, usually. It's usually the reservoir section where that's a concern. Makes sense. Makes sense. No, again, I think the sizing part of it is interesting. Because a lot of times, you don't often know the pore throat size. You're kind of throwing a mix at it, hoping that something catches. But to your point, like if it's specific, like a tailored 
fluid, then you may need certain particle size, which is the neat thing about calcium carbonate is because you can cost, assuming all else equal, you can do some pretty neat things just from the sizing perspective and get real, I guess, into the engineering piece of it. Let's talk a little bit about the acid solubility, because I think that's something that, again, unconventional is you're fracking the living world out of the rock down hole. So a lot of times it's not quite as, I guess, it's not quite as important as it is in other parts of the world, drilling different reservoirs, maybe doing some conventional stuff. I remember, you know, back in Canada, programming a bunch of wells, a lot of times the salesman or whatever would say, hey, you know, when you're programming LCM in the lateral, like make sure it's acid soluble, like nothing that's not acid soluble. And then there's something to be like a water-based, like a polymer mud that is nothing but magma fiber and calcarb, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so let's talk a bit about the acid solubility and sort of break it down like more from like a, I guess, sort of like theoretically, like what exactly does that mean and why is that important? So there are tests to measure acid solubility where you take a certain weight of calcium carbonate material, you expose it to hydrochloric acid and you see how much is remaining. The challenge I have to some of those things are what's the temperature? Because at relatively cold temperatures, hydrochloric acid doesn't do much. Most people won't let you pump hydrochloric in a lot of applications. They're using formic acid, which isn't as reactive per se. So this percent acid solubility, that test is usually going to be, if they just say percent acid, you know, 95% acid soluble or 98% acid soluble, what they mean is two 15% hydrochloric acid. Mm. They didn't finish the sentence. Okay. And so it's like, okay, cool. Well, if you're going to go use acetic acid to clean this thing up, you're probably not going to get all of it. There's like a few, you know, don't get lost in the details or keep an eye on the details. Don't get lost on the bullet points. Magma fiber, I don't know who provides it or whatever, but I would love to see an acid solubility test where it actually is acid soluble. (laughs) It's always like I get a bunch of gummy crap when I test it and I don't know what conditions it was tested in, but... It's always been the like other than calcarb acid soluble thing. Yeah. I've never seen it. I've also seen, you know, manganese tetroxide or what's the other one? Ilmenite. They say, oh yeah, it's acid soluble. It's like kind of, but it's a little different to say it's acid soluble. It's another to say some of it dissolves, but most of it is still there. And yet people make plans around this as if they're mitigating a risk. Show me the data because I haven't found it yet. I've Mm -hmm. heard the claims. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an aspect of how are you testing it, that kind of thing. And think about bayrite. You know, pure bayrite is what, 4-4, four, 4-5 four, four, specific gravity. We don't have that. So something else in it is making it lighter, right. like quartz. Calcarb has specific gravity between 2.7 and 2.8, which means it's pretty close to dirt. So measuring it and making sure that it's mostly acid soluble and mostly actually calcium carbonate can sometimes be a challenge. So have the test run, make somebody provide some documentation. And a lot of times you can have some of the stuff mixed in with dolomite, which is calcium magnesium carbonate, which is not nearly as acid soluble, but in unconventionals, does it matter? And this is always sort of my point of contention of, we don't want to damage the reservoir, so on and so forth, but what do I do? I run casing, I cement the well, and then I blast a six inch perf tunnel through the case at many of them. Then I pump a bunch of sand and then I pump maybe some acid to clean up whatever garbage from all these explosions downhole and everything happened. Does acid soluble material make any difference whatsoever at that point? I don't think so. And one of the things that I've seen even on a tester where it was 100% acid soluble squeeze material. This was years ago. They put it on a permeameter. So they laid down the squeeze material. 
put down a permeometer and circulated hydrochloric acid across it for 16 hours. And it was still there when they took it out of the tester. Because what happened was at the relatively low velocity where they were able to place the acid, and keep in mind if other parts of the formation are acid soluble, the acid goes that way. It doesn't go to your target material. What would happen is you'd have this neutralization reaction where you did get a little bit of it to react, but then the new hydrochloric acid just passed right by where that neutralized liquid of calcium chloride was. You weren't actually getting the acid to all the remaining material that was between you and the formation. So I'm not saying like there aren't applications where you definitely want 100% or 98% acid soluble material. But what I am saying is your use cases for needing acid soluble material in the reservoir, particularly in unconventionals, I can't think of any. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it goes back to the story of the oil field, right? Like I don't want anyone pointing the finger at me. I don't want any questions. The stuff's cheap. Just use it. But Unless you're doing an open hole completion, unless you're doing some other things where remediation may be required later, if you're casing it off and cementing it, there's really no need for acid-soluble material. But calcarb's still cheap. You can still use it. I wouldn't, to your point, further down, I might want something more mechanically resilient, and I would probably recommend that first, just for that very reason, is to stop the losses. Yeah. So that may work better. A specialty blend may be better designed to address some of those issues. The focus on asset solubility might actually run interference on what you're trying to do. Right. And that's a good point. And I guess if you have, you know, say a customer or even one of the folks in here asking you, Matt, you know, they want to run calcium carbonate as an LCM. I think, again, context matters. Although just mechanically speaking, because calcium carbonate does break down the more you shoot through a bit. Now, if you're using it for LCM, hopefully it's not coming back around and going through the bit multiple times because then it's not going to formation. But I mean, based off your experience, does calcium carbonate typically work well as an LCM, whether on its own or in conjunction? I mean, is it something that is, or is that kind of like an old myth that like nowadays, like, wow, there's actually much better products out there. Like what's your sort of thoughts around that? I would say for a lot of the formations we drill, some of the blends that we've used it for, I won't get into the specific reasons, but we've used it mm-hmm. to complement other things that are in those blends. Yeah. And I'm calcium carbonate was the cheapest thing that executed that function, but it wasn't because it was calcium carbonate. Gotcha. So there's some of that that I would say, I agree. If you're trying to keep background material in, if this stuff's going to get retained, it's just going to get ground down. It's going to get ground down pretty quick and even though it's not very reactive, it's more low gravity solids you've got to deal with. But if you're trying to retain it in the system, all LCM is going to kind of do that. It's just, if you have some other stuff, that's going to get separated out at the shakers or whatever, because it didn't break down and you're going to pump some sweeps every once in a while, that's more resilient. That might be the better way to go. Right. If you're spotting a material, like let's say you're on losses and you want to spot something to try and heal them up. I think calcarb is still a really good option or part of a solution. But it goes back to some of the blends we've come together may have more features, particularly mechanically, mm-hmm. where if I could spot that stuff down there, I think my odds of success go up a little more. And if you ask me, Matt, we're on losses, we're going to pull up and spot something. I'm probably not going to come up with a Calcar blend unless you tell me I have to. And the other part of it is if I do come up with a blend, I probably have to have a few different sacks of stuff to do it to get that distribution. Right. And then I've got to make sure everybody's okay with three of these and two of these and one of these. And if I've got a bag that gets it done, I'll put a bag in. Right. Yeah. No kidding. And I remember doing this when I was on a rig, but we used to, instead of using barite for slugs, we'd use calcium carbonate for slugs. And I don't remember why 
you know, again, I wasn't even a mud engineer. I was just being as a ring hand. But for some reason, we always mixed up calcium carbonate, like sack calcium carbonate in our, I forget what we called it. It was not the, it was this tank on top of the pits that we'd use for, we called them pills, which it is. But anyway, I never really thought of it until once I understood mud better. And I was like, well, why are we using that instead of barite? Because we were using barite mm-hmm. for weighting material, but we'd use calcium carbonate for slugs. I can't, I mean, the thing is, it would take a lot more to get the same density of your target slug. Yeah. Maybe because it was cheap. Yeah, That's right. the only thing that comes to mind. I more like feel bad for you if you've got to cut all those extra sacks. Yeah. And I mean, depending on the sizing, it's really dusty too. You know, it dries up your oh, skin. Oh, it was nasty. And- yeah, no, because it's this open top. And now I think, well, you typically have a slug tank, but I guess the slug tank that we had, it had like two or three cubes worth of volume and then so you'd lift the sacks and put them on top and it had its own agitator. And so, but it was like probably like if this little table that we're sitting at and maybe about the same, close to the same size and, you know, up to about my chest. And yeah, we had to like... Were you trying to blend it into the open top then? Like with no hopper or anything? Yeah, there was no hopper. I mean, I guess the other thing is it won't settle as fast. But... <laughs> I guess, yeah. So we'd like drive the forklift up, prop it right there, which nowadays you probably couldn't do because we just like left the forklift up there with the pallet mm-hmm. and then we'd grab the pallet, cut it open, lift it, and then we'd fill it half with water and there'd be a little agitator on there. And then, yeah, once we were ready to pump it, you just open the valve and you could suck right out of there down into your drill string. But it was such an odd setup. And then, you know, but now I don't, you typically have a slug tank that you do that in, but this one was above the tank slug tank. Done with calcium carbonate. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. My goodness. Again, I don't remember why, but it just made me think of that. But as a weighting material, again, I don't see any reason unless you have to. But again, it takes a lot more. The only time we would do it is reservoir drilling fluids, where we needed to stay acid soluble. Yeah. And it was really your only practical choice. There are other acid soluble materials. Now I alluded to a couple. of they're not acid soluble enough, no matter what anybody tells you, at least as far as Lee and my experience in the lab testing them. Yeah. But there are also other ions like cations and stuff that could cause crude emulsions and do other things. So calcarb was like the safest, most practical and most available weight material. But we would also, because it was the reservoir and these were expensive completion, you drill with like a 50-50 oil water ratio. You might have calcium bromide in the internal phase to make it as heavy as possible. And you'd still drill with a PV of 60 or something. Like eventually that will start to tap out on you. And so that's really the only reason I can think of, but you had a pretty good reason to do it. Right. No, interesting stuff. Well, I mean, again, it's uh, one of those products, lots of use cases, obviously. One that, you know, I think any mud engineers probably mixed at some point. So again, I thought it was a kind of interesting topic. Matt, you got any closing last words or anything off the top of your head that you want to communicate before we close out? I just say I like this because it's, you take it for granted. To your point, it's calcium carbonate is kind of everywhere. It comes up all the time and we hadn't bothered to discuss it until episode, what, almost 200 and something. So <laughs> yeah. we haven't run out of ideas. We've maybe taken some things for granted that we could unpack. So perfect. Thanks for the idea, Justin. Yeah, no, that's great. And for all the listeners out there, if there's anything we mentioned on the show that kind of spurs an idea for whether it be a question that you have. To supplement this show, uh, the episode, or if you have any questions in general about drilling fluids or drilling operations that we can help answer on the show, please let us know. Again, please review, subscribe, share this with someone that is in drilling fluids, whether it be a mud engineer, maybe an on-site representative, maybe one of your customers, whatever the case is, please just continue to share these. We're really just trying to continue to educate anyone that's all drilling operations or drilling fluids, or even just wants to learn about what we do. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn. 
We've got a great page that continuously has a bunch of great content on there for education as well. We've got our YouTube video with the tech tips on there that give you a good visualization on what we do and some of the testing and really just helps you digest the information because a lot of it's pretty technical. And if you want to reach out to Matt and I, we're both on LinkedIn. If you want to email us, email us at the Flowline Podcast is aesfluids.com. And with that said, take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.